Hello, deconstruction community. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, a show that gives a platform for people to share their stories of surviving toxic religious environments. As a trigger warning, a lot of topics on this show will revolve around religious trauma, mental health, and spiritual abuse. Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. And today, um, our guest is Lee Foster. She attended Bob Jones University for eight years studying biblical counseling. She realized how harmful biblical counseling was and decided to become a therapist. Um, she is now a therapist and is using her voice to bring awareness to the dangers of biblical counseling. How are you today, Lee? I'm doing really good. How are you, Andrew? Doing good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I've been waiting. I mean, very patient for this interview. <laughs> very excited um, yeah. for this. Yeah, because I know we talked a little bit earlier about how I was saying I don't really see many podcasts or conversations about the dangers of biblical counseling. Um, so I'm excited to get into that. Yeah. Um, so I think the most important Absolutely. thing is, um, you know, what is the definition of biblical counseling? And I know they also use the term euthetic counseling. So talk about um, that too. Yeah. So um, the word euthetic is used, that was originally um, kind of coined by um, Jay Adams. So he's the father of biblical counseling. He's kind of the person who started um working towards, you know, kind of spreading this um, counseling, this form of counseling among Christian circles, but like Bible believing individuals um, circles. He, um, the new, the new word comes from actually Greek. Um, and that's where he kind of took it um, and turned it into new um, And I'm going to read you the Greek definition really quick. So the de definition of Nuthateo, well, Nuthateo is the, um, the word that he took and coined Nuthetic, um, to admonish, warn, and exhort, or give instruction. Um, so that's literally like the word that is describing counseling. And um, that used to be a more pure form, they would say, pure form of biblical counseling, like completely um, Bible verses and everything like that. And biblical counseling, that term kind of came out of more of like, okay, we're going to use not only just Bible verses, but like principles from the Bible and not just like memorized Bible verses, but kind of like principles of living. And they, they did a little bit of um, kind of like pulling some elements of like what we would consider therapy out of it, but it's still all strictly based on the Bible. And some of my experience with that, not only as a student, um, I have both a bachelor's and a master's degree in biblical counseling. So I do know the world um, backwards and forwards. Um, <laughs> for those who wonder like what my credentials to talk about this are. Um, and so, yeah, it, it definitely is pretty limiting um, because of the principle that you only use the Bible to 
help people who have gone through trauma or, um, you know, hard times, people, other people have hurt them in some way or another. Um, anything from, you know, you were bullied in school to someone raped you on the sidewalk, um, or wherever. Um, so it's, it's kind of a one size fits all a lot of times. Um, and we can get into more of that later. So. Yeah. So it sounds like biblical counseling is really, it's based on belief completely. It's not based on any kind of science whatsoever. To my knowledge, there is no peer reviewed study indicating Mm -hmm. that biblical counseling has been helpful. I actually wrote a paper in, um, I can't remember if it was undergrad or grad school, but I wrote a paper on um, basically like, does Christian counseling actually work? And so it was even broadening it more from biblical counseling to like Christian counseling. And essentially at the end of the day, there isn't um, there. And my paper wasn't peer reviewed or published or anything like that. So it was definitely like not, mm-hmm. yeah. not peer review, but um, yeah. there was not evidence based on my research that for positive or you know, and there was some evidence of negative outcomes. So um, there are people who would say otherwise that there are POTO's positive outcome, but I think it's very situational. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. To the person, if they truly had benefit, but there's no scientific evidence mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's interesting because, you know, I've had, I've unfortunately been in biblical counseling. <laughs> before because I was desperate because you know I went to Bob Jones for several years and they don't have any kind of um they don't have therapists there they don't have anyone who has credentials to help you and so it's just interesting because I think how you're I think really biblical counseling if it can help people is a very small small number of people and probably people who haven't really been through trauma like at all I think probably. Yeah. So like there, I think that the people who quote unquote could be helped by it, like if they're, um, if their struggle is truly just spiritual and they find comfort and, Mm -hmm. and, um, but I think like one problem with biblical counseling is that they've conflated mental and spiritual problems as one. Oh no, that's right. Wow. Yeah. Mental mental and spiritual problems are not one. They are two completely different things. Like a spiritual uh, crisis would be more like, what is my belief? Whereas like a mental crisis is, it can be physical elements of our actual physical brain. We have a physical brain. It's not, you know, this (laughs) spiritual entity. It is a physical part that Um, produces chemical hormones and it can derail sometimes. Yeah, so that's interesting. So I guess what I want to clarify for anyone listening is we are looking at this from a mental health perspective and arguing mm-hmm. that biblical counselors should not counsel people who are having mental health issues, but they do and they act like it's like the only way. And mm-hmm. there really is a lot of victim blaming and really shame um, mm-hmm. with this counseling method and which I've experienced. And I know many, many other people have experienced. And so I think it'd be interesting though, if you would dig deeper into the origins of slash the founder of the approach, which I think is, is Jay Adams, right? Yeah. So Jay mm-hmm. Adams actually wrote several books, 
Um, there's one called Competent to Counsel. Um, and there are, you know, that one was a main textbook for my undergrad class um, in biblical counseling for my bachelor's. Um, and there are, there are ready to restore, like there's a whole series that he wrote. Um, and one of the, one of the arguments that he presented was that, um, psychology is simple. This is a direct, I mean, I might be paraphrasing a little bit, but it's a direct quote from his book that, um, psychology is sinful man thinking about sinful, sinful man thinking sinfully about sinful man. Um, where I was, whereas I would argue also that um, theology or the application or interpretation of scripture can also be under that. Uh, we are not, when we're interpreting scripture to try to counsel somebody um, or, you know, biblical counselors, as they would call themselves are, we're still sinful. If we're using their terminology, we're still sinful human beings talking sinfully about sinful human beings. Um and so there's, there's a lot of underlying beliefs about um, like theology and humanity that really color the way that biblical counseling is um, applied. And um, Jay Adams, like he, I think he was a well-intentioned person, but he eliminated a tool that, um, that is in the, that is available to us in psychology um, he eliminated that from the picture. And I think that we would never say, oh, we're going to use the Bible to teach math class, or we're going to use the Bible to teach um, accounting or business principles. Like, um, we're not going to, we're not going to use the Bible for that. It's not a blueprint for that. And I think um, that, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that Jay Adams started is like, this is the only way for mental health professionals to treat trauma and honestly like some of the, the way the questions are the way that questions are formulated and asked um in biblical counseling does victim blame it does create shame it is usually accusatory in the method that um is used we were taught that this was literally like a rote thing that we would almost say like a catechism in class um but we'd be told over and over again as a as a cohort of students that you can't counsel unsaved people. You can only preach the gospel to them. You can only evangelize them. And so we'd be like sitting in class and the professor would say, so can you counsel unbelievers? And our rote response would be, no, you can only evangelize them. And so there, there are just, <laughs> there are so many problems um, that come out of even that statement. Um, and so like, how I saw biblical counseling kind of played out for myself, because as well as like being a student in um, the biblical counseling courses, I was also um, in counseling while I was at Bob Jones. And so how I would see some of that played out is um, one of my counselors said that we weren't here to talk about my family and my past. We were only here to talk about the Bible. How like, that's that's how it's promoted of like wow talk about because mm. that's gossip or like that's that's not relevant to the situation you just need to believe um the bible and it led to me feeling like i could never talk about my problems um 
which is a huge issue because when I need to go to someone for advice or to, um, if someone is treating me inappropriately and I need to talk to somebody else about it, like there's no one to go to if that's how your belief system works. Um, and so like my uh, other things that were said to me were like, you don't need people. You just need God. We do need people. We do need community. We don't only need, you know, spiritual needs met. Um, (laughs) so it's very, and, and that's not, I mean, if we're real about it, that's kind of twisting some scripture too. So the other thing that is really problematic is when we talk about trauma, a lot of the times. So what happens is the biblical counselor might hear your story. They might hear it once, maybe twice. However, if you revisit any part of it, you'll be questioned. I was questioned. Why are you still anxious about that? The Bible says be anxious for nothing. Or another experience that I had was, um, like, you know, I was having a really rough time with something, something from my past, like abuse from my past. And, um, the immediate response was, well, you worry a lot. You should really get some help for your anxiety. You have a lot of anxiety. It's like, that's, not relevant. That's not what a trauma survivor needs to hear in that moment. Um, and so a lot of the perspective is like, well, you're the problem. The person sitting in front of you is the problem. And we don't talk about how the other person is (laughs) a problem. So they skip over the pain and the validation of emotions and they go straight to, well, belief, faith, pray more, memorize scripture more and scripture is almost used as, and it's taught through Jay Adams. It's taught this way. Um, scripture is taught to be used as, uh, you carry a note card in your pocket and you recite it to yourself over and over and over again. It's almost like a genie of like, let me rub this magic lamp and the mental health solution that I need will come out. And honestly, like, if you really think about it, that's a prosperity, uh, teaching. Um, and that's some people memorizing scripture never ended up working. And then they feel even more devastated. And that brings out that shame that you were talking about earlier. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my long, (laughs) deep, (laughs) dive into what the it started as and how it plays out now Mm, wow like it definitely has that um magical thinking around it really like wow like like you were saying like it's like a genie or something and it really shows through the way they approach it is that they're not trauma informed whatsoever Mm -hmm. um they they don't know how it resides in your unconscious and in your mind, how it needs, it was never processed and it's mm. there and reading scripture is not going to make you process it and avoiding it and repressing it. It's, it's just going to grow bigger and bigger. So it, that's a, one of the, I think a big reason to why it's so harmful is that it just encourages repression and put so like we were talking about, put so much blame on you. Mm. And I'm just curious, like what led you to study biblical counseling 
Yeah, so I went to Bob Jones originally to study music. Um, I knew they had a really good classical piano program. I was a um, pianist in high school and, you know, wanted to pursue that further in college. Um, I got to my junior year and I was like planning my junior recital and I was so excited about it. But then I just like burnt out. I was like, I hate this now. I don't want this to be a job. And so as I was trying to figure out what direction I was going to go, um, someone had just mentioned that. I mean, I think you'd be a great counselor. And I was like, okay, I had no knowledge of counseling. I had no exposure to anything prior to that. Um, I grew up homeschooled, pretty sheltered in terms of like what I knew about was what was available in the world. Um, and honestly, like never talked about emotions growing up at all. I think that's a common thing that most people in our generation could really relate to. Um, mm, yeah. Like, Discover this other side of ourselves when we hit our 20s of like wait that's emotion <laughs> um so yeah like I switched my major three years into school um thankfully it only added a semester on for me so hey got that going for me and um I just honestly was in it because I wanted to learn and I wanted to um I wanted to help people I was like I've you know, I felt supported by people. I want to be that for someone. Um, however, uh, I started questioning, like, so it was literally my first, um, it was like a general biblical counseling class. Um, and one of the things that the professor straight up stated was that emotional abuse cannot happen because you can't abuse emotions. And that just bothered me. And I didn't know who I could ask about it because I was like, mm -hmm. well, dang like if this professor believes this then like it must be right because like we're we're taught oh, to look wow. up professors you know and like also like who like if he says that like surely everybody else here agrees with that so but I was like literally questioning it because I grew up with emotional abuse and I knew that um from just like talking um with my mom about it a little bit and um so hearing that just really was unsettling for me. And I kept going, I kept um, going through the courses. Sometimes I was like, okay, yeah, I can get behind that. A lot of times I was like, eh, I'm not sure about that. Um, I am, I don't know if anyone out there is um, aware of the Enneagram or like has any interest in it, but I'm a five with a very strong ring for it. And fives um, their core need in life is knowledge. And so I would do my own thinking and thinking and thinking and research like outside of my classes. And as, as time allowed, obviously college is like super stressful. Um, and I just like, I could not get past the stuff that I was being told. Like, I was just like, that. this can't be it. Like this, it can't be as simple as like, oh, you're having an anxious thought. You should just say this scripture. Like that sounds way too simplistic. Um, and it feels like it's not working. And so I'm beating myself up. Like I'm clearly not doing something right, like something I'm doing wrong. But then if you think about it at the end of the day, like when is more praying enough? Like at what point does it become enough? When is more scripture memory enough? Like if, like if you're chasing after, um, mental health, like and you're doing it that way, like you're gonna, you're gonna come up frustrated and feeling like something is wrong with you as a person. Um, 
Uh, and so, um, yeah, finished my, finished my undergrad degree. Um, I had some friends that I was able to have really great, like questioning conversations with, obviously, um, we never really came to like super firm conclusions or whatever. And, but I knew that I needed to think and not just, um, kind of like absorb what I was being told. I needed to think and analyze and, um, you know, question what I was being told. Um, and so I took, I actually was pretty disillusioned by it after finishing undergrad. However, I was in a really weird position of, um, I didn't have anything when I graduated college. So I ended up working for Bob Jones. I was, um, I carpooled with someone else who worked there. Um, I lived pretty cheaply with someone else who worked there, which I'm super thankful for. Like it definitely got me off my feet. However, it wasn't a healthy situation. And, um, for that reason, like I decided I wanted to just go back. I felt like the only way to kind of move on was to finish a degree of some sort, like a further education degree. And, um, I tried exercise science. I had some physical issues. So I ended up just knocking out the biblical counseling masters in a year and in the master's program. So this gets a little more personal, but maybe like, like personal to people who maybe did a master's degree in biblical counseling at Bob Jones and are trying to make a career out of it. Um, it was advertised that you could do social work after, um, finishing the degree. And so I finished the degree and was looking for a job, looking for a job, looking for a job. I could not get any job. I could not get licensed. I researched and researched, called, called the state, researched the state's website. Um, I tried to get credits transferred to a, um, KCREP accredited program to try to get another degree. My, none of my credits would transfer from Bob Jones, even to, um, Liberty, which has a KCREP accredited degree and is also a Christian school, which is really, it blows my mind that, <laughs> that my, my credits from Bob Jones literally couldn't even transfer for a degree from another Christian school. Um, like that's how far off the counseling program is from the standard of like researched, reviewed, um, evidence-based practices. So back up a little bit. So obviously in grad school, you take more specialized classes. Um, and some of the things I just remember are we would sit in a class where we were talking about medication. That is a very touchy issue among the biblical counseling community. Most biblical counselors would say that they're not anti-medication. However, they're not necessarily like going to recommend someone to go on it. Um, which there, I, I don't know if these stories are verified. So, but just because it can be a safety issue, I'm going to say it anyway, but there has been cases, um, like spoken of, where a biblical counselor did tell someone to go off their medication. However, that is very dangerous. And that is not, that is not okay. Like anyone who is on medication for depression, anxiety, any mental health condition, you have got to talk to your doctor about how, and if you're going to come off your medication. Um, so just that disclaimer there. Um, and so that's a very dangerous, um, proponent or like teaching or, um, potential issue that has historically come up. 
I was in a class that was about medications and um, psych, um, psychological diagnoses. And it was, it was really frustrating because the whole entire class was watching videos of the negative effects of medication. And we never once saw any support of like the positive effects of medication. Um, and I think that that's extremely problematic because you're only seeing one side. Like there are so many people who have been literally like lives saved because they chose to take medication. And while yes, medication is not for everyone. Um, I don't think we should just shun it as like, oh, well, I'll just pull up my bootstraps, memorize some Bible verses and get through it. Like our brain's not that way. <laughs> like, um, and so just the fact that individuals are going out from a school with a master's degree, thinking that they're prepared with that type of information to counsel people scares me so bad. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a lot. So that's kind of like, oh, and then, um, so how I kind of like came through that, I finished the program, marched, I got a job because I couldn't find a job, um, in mental health. I got a job in a doctor's office to just kind of like get through until I could find my, my eventual, um, destination. And so it ended up after two years of researching and trying to figure out how I could get a job in the field. Um, I just had to suck it up and go back to school for, um, a KCREP accredited degree. And I finished that in December. And like we said at the beginning, I just got licensed about three weeks ago. My license finally came through after a very long and <laughs> frustrating wait. And so, yeah, I'm excited to be actually contributing to the field in a positive way now. So that's kind of how I came up through the counseling world. Oh yeah, congrats on getting your license. That's exciting. Okay. Yes. So like you basically, you had to just redo your master's over again, basically. Wow. I yeah. mean, kudos to you for getting through that again. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm more credentialed than I wanted to be, but hey, I am doing what I want and feel very like passionate about doing. So yeah. Yeah. That's always great uh, for any um, job or career. And I guess I'm curious, like, was really, when did you feel like you realized that biblical counseling was dangerous? Or was it like, was it just creeping your thoughts every once in a while? Or was it just a sudden realization? Or how did that work out for you? Yeah, definitely. So for me, I am, like, I'm a processor. Like, I think through things a lot. I don't, I'm not as much going to process things by talking as much as mentally kind of like working through it. So, um, I'm also someone who wants to give something a good chance, like a good effort. Um, you know, and so for that reason, and also some financial constraints and probably a little bit of like therapy was so, um, discouraged, like going to a therapist was so discouraged by um the professors and people at the university that I um I felt like even though I was like I don't 
think they're completely right. I'm like scared to go because I don't want to be screwed up kind of thing. Um, so there's always this like nagging problem of like, oh, well, they're the expert. Um, I think what really did it was I went to a couple of counselors after the um, first one where I mentioned had said, don't talk about, we don't talk about your past. We're here to talk about Bible. Um, and I was over time when the things that I was trying to do, the practices that they were encouraging that they said would help my depression, my anxiety, um, they weren't helping. And in fact, I like, there was one time when I was in school, I was, I think it was like my senior year, I was severely suicidal and didn't feel like I could tell anyone because I was like, oh, well, I already know what they're going to say. They're just going to say, read your Bible and pray more. You're, you're clearly going through a crisis of faith. And there was so much more going on than that. Like there were triggers from childhood anniversaries. Like, um, I had cancer one year, um, that I was in college, I had thyroid cancer and that takes a huge toll on you emotionally and mentally. And so I didn't, I couldn't tell anyone and that was a really scary time. And so that made me question like, okay, if I don't feel like I can tell these people this, like, how is that? That's not okay. And also just feeling like, I have done, I've worked this. Like I have, it's almost like, like people say they worked the 12 steps in AA or whatever. Like that's how I felt about biblical counseling. I was like, I have worked this. Like I have given it a fair shot and I wasn't feeling better. And it came to the point, my doctor was recommending medication and I was scared to go with my doctor's recommendation. Cause I thought I would be like shamed and shunned and judged on campus. And so I like, I just didn't even tell my counselor at the time that I was, you know, that I had gone on medication, which also is not okay. If you feel like you can't tell your counselor that you've gone on medication, get your butt out of there, like get your ass out of there. Cause that's not a good counselor. Um, so anyway, I felt like I couldn't tell them and like, that was kind of that. And then also when I did my intern, my internship, which for my grad degree the first time around was literally like six I think it was like six weeks of going and doing a devotional with women in a detention center um, my internship in my second grad degree was three semesters and like 700 hours like there's a huge difference and like the experience mm -hmm. you get in yeah few weeks in a semester versus three semesters and 700 hours that's insanity like the difference is insanity um you can't you can't learn um how to do a skill or a counseling um intervention well in just a few weeks not to mention again it was more like a devotional time um and so just that that stark difference um blows my mind and then so I think the ultimate like okay there's not a lot redeemable about this um I think that was definitely the combination of all of my experiences but also just realizing that like doing this over and over again for the rest of my life is not sustainable I 
you know, I don't feel any better than I did like when I started. Um, I'm on medication that I feel like I can't tell a counselor that I'm on. I have, I still had unresolved um, trauma and even stuff that happened while I was at college and even re-traumatized by people asking, why are you still anxious about that? Like counselors asking that. Um, and then of course, all the implying that, well, there's something you could have done better um, or differently. And also one of the things that we didn't ever, I can't remember talking about it very much at all would be like how the nervous system is involved in trauma and the fight, flight, or freeze. Um, if we touched on that, it was so brief that it's a fleeting, um, a fleeting moment. We literally like in my second grad degree, we worked through that. Like that was a Mm -hmm. big part of it, the neuro, the neurobiology, um, which is so important. And now we know, uh, with trauma informed care, um, we have to understand how the body and the brain interact with one another post-traumatic experience. That's not, it's not a part of um, the biblical counseling model. I think one of the other things that I wanna say too is that, so with my degree as a licensed professional counselor, so my degree was clinical mental health counseling, my license is licensed professional counselor associate. Um, We have a very stringent, ethical code that we, we answer to the American Counseling Association. So one entity that has created a code of ethics that is standardized for the whole country. Um, and it takes into consideration trauma-informed care. It takes into consideration um, client autonomy. It takes into consideration just like, you know, keeping the counseling relationship as safe and um, accepting as possible and also um just really protections for everyone involved um biblical counseling has no zero they don't answer to anyone now if someone gets certified there's a couple of different agencies that certify um there are some schools that have degree programs the master seminary in california has that bob jones has that um I can't think of any, another one off the top of my head. Um, but there's no, there's no one they answer to. It's every man for himself and that there's just no accountability with that. And so there's not a place to, if you are harmed as a client, you have every right to report that somewhere, but there's nowhere to report that for a biblical counselor. There's zero accountability. Whereas if you were you were harmed by a licensed therapist, you would have a recourse. So that's a huge major red flag. And so I'm just curious about um, spiritual abuse that you witness, experience, or uh, heard of at Bob Jones University through the counseling program and no. the counselors. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the biggest is probably the perpetuated shame. Um, we've mentioned that a couple of times. Again, um, also just the way the way that clients 
students, whatever, are um, the stance that the counselor has towards them when they come in is so different from the stance that like a licensed professional counselor has. We have something in our field that's called unconditional positive regard. Um, that's like a, it's kind of a buzzword in our field, but it, it holds, it carries a lot of meaning. Unconditional positive regard is the realization that humans are autonomous. They make their own choices. Um, you know, they will likely pay the consequences of any choice, whether good or bad, um, or in between, anywhere in between. Um, and so that stance is so important because my job as a counselor is not to tell you what to think or tell you what to believe or um obviously if you know you're gonna harm someone or yourself I'm gonna you know there's some boundaries there however that aside um my job is to support you in discovering who you are um what is the best course for you in life um the stance of a biblical counselor and I know this because I I did experience this. And also I feel like I kind of have this stance towards some people, not like I never had like clients as a biblical counselor, but like, even just as a friend, um, is that you're coming to me with the problems and I hold the answers. Um, but what if like, what if that's not what the person needs right then? What if you're trying to, you know, hammer in a nail with a screwdriver? Um, I think that's really important to think about because when a client comes to you with significant trauma, you can't use the verse, it is good that you were afflicted. You cannot do that. That is not what they need to hear at that moment. They need to be um, like, there's, there's a disconnect there. And also, um, how, why, I, I get that that is a Christian like belief, but um, that's not what someone needs to hear in that moment that yeah <laughs> I can't stress that enough and so like I saw that happen again and again and then just the um just the very harsh um cut and dry lines that were taught in some of the classes um I think a, a lot of injury was done I mentioned earlier the emotional like you can't abuse emotions so there's no such thing as emotional abuse um, there were definitely other things that were cut and dry, such as like ADHD is, you know, a, it's a discipline issue. You're just not di disciplined enough. Well, we have research now that shows um, that a, someone with ADHD, their brain truly functions differently, regardless of how many discipline measures they try to implement, even self-discipline measures. Um, there are some challenges, there are challenges for them. And um, minimizing, um, you know, the physical experience of anxiety, depression. Well, if someone's in bed with depression, um, you know, the idea that they should just get up and do something like sometimes that's, sometimes you're so low that you can't do that. And no Bible verse is going to get you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it yeah. might, but you're, Still gonna feel depressed, you know, and so a lot of the harm comes out of those really blatant, like you're you're the problem um, in the situation. And one other thing, just really quick, I wanted to mention is um, a huge one. 
um, I think in Christianity, like in general, but also um, definitely in biblical counseling, there is something where um, there's a tendency to jump to forgiveness too quickly um, and having this expectation for a client to be ready to forgive at a certain point in their journey. And while, you know, forgiveness is wonderful and great, and it does provide some peace to some extent, like there's no timeline for that. Um, and it can actually be harmful because let's imagine that a child was, um, sexually assaulted by her father. How do you expect an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old to fully grasp what happened to her and also be able to forgive. Um, that's not something that we should put pressure on. And even someone who's, you know, down the road 20 years, like you just can't tell someone when they're, you can traumatize them more by having um, an expectation to forgive too soon or even confront their um, that's, that's something that has happened before too. being told to confront your abuser. That is not safe. That is not, there's, there's evidence to say that that's not safe, even if it's an emotional abuser. So. And so I know your mission is really, you know, to provide real mental health care for people and also bring awareness to the dangers of biblical counseling. And mm -hmm. how do you think biblical counseling, this form of it, can be really stopped? Yeah, that's a big task. <laughs> um, I, I'm unfortunately, I think it'll take um, some deep hurt and some um, really hard experiences over time for some people to realize that it's not. I mean, cause let's, let's be real. Like if you're a Christian, it sounds great, right? Like the Bible has the answers. God has the answers. Um, you know, that sounds really hopeful and great, but what happens when you are, you know, going to that over and over and over again, and you still feel depressed, you feel, you know, you still have an abuser in your life because it is good that you are afflicted. Like that's, you know, that will cause more problems down the line. And um, so there's that also, as far as people who are receiving the counseling. So that's, that's more for the side of like the counselors, those who believe that with a biblical counseling degree that they can, they can truly um, counsel individuals and um, in a safe and healthy way. Um, on client side, I think it's just one, it's not talked about. And so people who have felt hurt by it or who have walked away hopeless because it didn't work, they feel isolated. I felt isolated for years. Like I even was nervous about finding community among therapists, um, even with my you know current role and degree program, because I was just like, what if, what if other people are like, you know, this too, and I can't talk about it and the realities of it. Um, and so talking about it, like we, we have to talk about our experiences. We have to talk about, um, and, and question like, okay, is that really helping you? Or are we just kind of like putting a bandaid on it? Um, are we just kind of like, well, God works all things together for good. Okay. But like, what if we don't see that? What if we don't? what do you do then? Like there is help in the mental health community. 
um, that doesn't just leave you empty. Like, yeah, sometimes we don't have the answers for everything, but there is help. Um, and then, you know, again, there's just something about that kind of thing being kept under wraps that makes it so much more, um, dangerous really, because, you know, if one person goes and they think, oh yeah, this is like how it's supposed to work. And this, you know, this is great. And then they feel bad. They're not going to talk about it because they feel like it's something wrong that they did, you know? Um, and so just giving people that permission to talk about it and like, it's not you, like it's the system, like the system is not actually created to help people with trauma and with, you know, deep or like mental health ish diagnoses. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think those are two things. Um, I think that calling for accountability <laughs> would be like, I'm not, I think that, um, stuff like this, stuff like a podcast, stuff like a, you know, an expose, uh, with a journalist or something like that, an investigative journalist, um, would be helpful. And it has to be, there are many voices out there and it needs to be the many voices. If you get on Twitter, um, you'll see a lot there about people who are able to escape and recover from the effects of biblical counseling. Um, so yeah, I think there is a good movement headed. Um, I think we need to talk about it more because we need to not feel in the dark with our, our thoughts mm -hmm. and feelings about it. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and I guess this is one thing I guess I kind of forgot, but I guess I want to give you the opportunity and you don't have to, you don't want to, because I know there is one professor there that mm. is notorious um, yeah. for being awful to students. And if you want to talk about him, fine. If you don't, that's fine too. It's up oh, to you. That's totally fine. Um, so there is a professor. He was my advisor, um, Dr. Mazak. He is the one who um, said a lot of the things that I quoted about emotional abuse, not being real and things like that. Um, he was my advisor. Like I said, I did go to him at one point and I asked him, I just kind of like sat down and I was like, okay, so I'm just now confident enough to say this, but like, um, I don't think I agree with you on the whole psychology thing. And at the end of the day, I was not heard. I walked out of there. um, feeling minimized and talked down to and essentially the argument had my or my presentation of my concern had been twisted into the end result was oh we we believe the same thing um <laughs> I think you're just I think you're just coming at it from a different angle and that was not at all like I was really legitimately trying to find answers and I just at that time I didn't have the confidence and the education to argue further and so I walked out feeling very like gaslit and like um yeah minimized made to feel like I didn't know what I was talking about um so yeah unfortunately um I'm sure that there are a lot of people who have sat under his teaching and been frustrated by it and hurt by it and um I think that you know, talk again, talking about it, like bringing stuff like this to light is so important. So. Yeah, that's great. Um, and like, I was going to say something and it slipped my mind. <laughs> what was it? I 
I don't know, maybe it will come to me in a second, but is there anything else you would like to say to listeners regarding this subject? Yeah, um, I think we've pretty much covered it. I think that um, just exposing, for me, the most important thing is like giving people permission to say that this is a problem, even if you you know, adhere to the Bible as, um, you know, in a, as a faith, uh, Christianity as a faith, if you don't adhere to Christianity, Christianity as a faith, and you, um, you know, you have been hurt by this in the past, like also to provide a table for you to come to and talk about it. And, um, if you do still, you know, adhere to the Bible and Christianity as a faith, like it's okay to say that biblical counseling is not helpful. Like that is not, you know, that's, that's not heretical. That's not, um, you don't need to be afraid that you're going to lose your faith because you don't believe that the Bible is sufficient. Um, second Timothy three sixteen, I believe is a verse that biblical counselors fall back on a lot. Um, I, it says this is going to be a little bit botched, but, <laughs> um, all scriptures God breathed and is useful for, uh, reproof instruction and rebuke and training in righteousness. Um, and to say that that means that the Bible is enough to cover all the issues is so uh, short-sighted. Um, and so it could make people feel like, well, I'm, I'm um, turning my back on my faith or I'm abandoning my God or that kind of thing. If that's the verse that's like pounded into you, but that, that verse does not mean everything in the physical realm and our our mental health is a physical is physical health like it's just as um real and tangible as physical health and i think um part of the issue i do want to add this really quick um i meant to add it earlier but we we know this much about the brain literally have just barely touched the surface of what the brain is capable of um, both in protecting us when we go through trauma and recovering um, from that trauma and just the resilience and the, the skills and the tools that our brain has innately been built with. Um, that Bible verse does not even touch, you know, what the, the science and the studies that um, are being done on what the brain's capable of. And so we can't you know, have these black and white answers of like, well, you know, ADHD is not real or, you know, it's just a discipline issue. When we, like I said, have literally barely dipped into the surface of the brain's abilities. Um, and any neurobiologist will tell you the exact same thing. Any doctor, any surgeon, neurosurgeon will tell you the exact same thing. So, yeah, and like for me, as I've begun studying psychology, like that is a realization that I've come at this year, especially. I'm like, oh my gosh, like we barely know anything. And I'm super excited um, for scientists and psychologists in the future and like how the knowledge and the technology they'll be able to discover things and add to that and help people. And I realized, I remember the thing that I forgot and I thought yep. it was interesting. We had talked about this before, but like, could you talk a little bit about kind of like the arguments between the science department and the biblical counseling department at Bob Jones? 
Yes. So I had a professor that was my anatomy and physiology professor at Bob Jones. And um, so I intentionally took anatomy and physiology because from my own physical experiences, I knew that mental health was directly affected by physical health as well. Um, very tightly correlated. There's obviously the whole causation versus correlation issue, but they're very, at the minimum, tightly correlated. Um, which is why, you know, exercise, drinking water, eating food, normal things are really helpful to mental health. Um, they're the, they're the groundwork. Um, but I went to him in one of my semesters and he had mentioned that he had tried to go to the biblical counseling faculty faculty and present more on, and this is a doctor, this is like a medical doctor who's worked in the field of medicine. Um, and he went to the biblical counseling faculty and tried to present. Um, I don't know the specific details, but I do know that they, tried to present um, to them maybe some changes in their thinking on medication and also like um, the reality of certain mental concerns like OCD that would also be kind of like poo-pooed in the biblical counseling world. Um, and they, he, they weren't, they would not hear, um, they would not hear him. They would not consider his perspective. So there's just a lot of um, unwillingness, which is very common in fundamentalism in general, um, unwillingness to consider another perspective because it's almost like they're afraid of something else that's maybe a little less, they're a little less confident about or a lot less confident about there's not even a willingness to kind of consider that and so there's definitely like some circling the wagons some definite uh echo chambering going on even you know between departments there's not agreement which is very interesting to me um that that's still the case so um yeah that's kind of a huge red flag too mm -hmm. yeah I thought that was just interesting because when I remember that, I was like, okay, like, you know, the science department or someone in the science department, Bob Jones, they realized they're updated on the science of these things and they're trying to show them, but they were just too stubborn um, to listen. And really, like, that's, I think, a very dangerous thing yeah, about sure. biblical counseling is that it's not evidence-based. It's just based on belief and we're not going to change it. And it's harmed so many people because mm -hmm. this method doesn't want to change it. They don't want to change it, even though, like, this guy, Jay Adams, he just created it out of his own mind <laughs> really mm. or his own experiences with Christianity and didn't consider scientific studies or how effective mm. things could be. And, and one other piece of like going off of that is like there's an argument among biblical counselors that um so the different brain chemicals serotonin dopamine that kind of thing um there's an argument among biblical counselors of well how do you know you have low serotonin you can't test that um, which, so literally if we are going to test any of the brain chemicals or any, like, there's a lot about the brain that you literally have to be dead to be able to test. And then at that point, it's like, it's not functioning anyway. So like, how are you, I mean, literally the closest we've been able to get is, you know, if brain surgery and there has been some, um, advances in like, uh, you know, with some different, differently abled individuals um, and the mind, the power of the mind and things like that. Um, and then I think there's also, well, obviously like encephal encephalography, <laughs> um, which is when people have studies done of their brain and the activity, but that's like literally, you're not testing 
a measure of chemicals. And there's, again, that goes back to the science is so moving forward. I mean, like even 50 years ago or so, um, women with thyroid issues would have been put in insane asylums because they didn't know any better. Like they didn't know that there was a physical problem causing the emotions and the, you know, cause some of the out of control feelings. And so for us to just say about the brain, well, we can't measure that chemical. Okay. But like, there's, things we've not been able to measure in the past and we made some really big mistakes because of it so um science is not at a standstill and we need to remember that when we're we're dealing with human beings that are going through a lot of you know tough stuff so oh yeah most definitely and like that's how research has been able to get to this point because people didn't say, nope, we're gonna just gonna stick to these conclusions that we're not gonna go any farther. And so it's because, you know, they challenged it, they had their hypothesis and continued experimenting and building onto it. And Absolutely. really, I think it does take humility to be into that work because you have to admit you're wrong at times. You're like, you know what? My hypothesis was wrong but we're gonna figure out a different way and improve this. And that's how science has been able to change um, the world all around us and mental health, physical, just so many things. And even in the last, like like you're saying, like 50 years, so much has changed because of that. Um, but before we end, I wanna thank you again, Lee, for coming on the show. This has been so much fun. I've enjoyed this conversation and I'm excited. Um, we didn't even talk about the history of like conversion therapy. <laughs> oh no, we did not. <laughs> Which, Which I mean, has, if I have some roots in biblical counseling, just saying there are some Ooh. like connections. So I mean, I, don't, I mean, if you feel like if you want to come on again and talk about that, maybe I don't know if you're down for that. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about it. Yeah, we can. But yeah, thank you again for coming on. And this is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. This podcast is distributed by Anchor from Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Everything you need is in one space. Anchor has the tools to record, edit, and distribute your podcast. And it's all free. Download the Anchor app. Or go to Anchor FM to start creating your own podcast today. Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Please support the show by sharing, donating, or leaving a review. Your support is much appreciated.